All right. Welcome back to the Biblos Network. We are so glad that you have decided to, to stop in and spend a little time with us today. I pray that God is blessing you and keeping you and encouraging you. It is a great day to be apostolic. It is a great day to serve God. And we can't wait to talk about the promises that God has in store for his church and for his people. A great week here in uh, Durham, North Carolina, we've had our men's retreat, a great time in the Holy Ghost, and then our weekend services both here and in our Nashville campus. Um, God has just poured out the Holy Ghost in a dramatic fashion. We've had healings and uh, great miracles, all for the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel which is what the miracles are all supposed to do. We do not follow signs and miracles. They follow us. And so it's just a great day to be apostolic. And I am honored today to have dear friends with me here at Biblos. It's good to have uh, Brother Paul Elder and Brother Jeffrey Elder from Pueblo, Colorado and Greeley, Colorado. God bless you guys. Welcome to Biblos. Thank you. So honored to be here with you. Thank you very much. So they host the Double Portion podcast, and it's reaching a lot of people. It's reaching overseas. It's doing a great work, and we've collaborated before, and yeah. but we did that out with you guys. Yes. So yes. now it's time to bring it on home to North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, just outside the county line. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in the county line. We are in the county line, yeah, but I just can't resist. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I was just with somebody, talking to somebody. And they asked where I was from and they were a gospel singer. And, and I said, I'm from Durham, Durham, North Carolina. And when I said it, their eyes sparked and I knew what they were going to say. And at the same time we said right outside the county line. <laughs> but, um, yes. So double portion is, is reaching a lot of people and it's a passion of your guys. Um, podcasting is how this generation communicates. Yes. It is. <clears throat> Have you guys found out that it's, been a benefit to your local church and and to ministries around it really is let me say this uh brother jeffrey really is the one that saw the potential here and he actually talked about it before podcasting became really popular and uh that was a vision and a dream of his it, it's an extension of our passing the torch conference and then we do the devil portion conference which we call the experience and uh, but most of that was him going from one generation, passing that on to the next generation. So he could probably talk more about that than I could. Well, I just see the the potential of reaching so many uh, with uh, I wouldn't say little effort because it's not little effort. There's a lot of effort that you have to put in, but it's not you know we're not having to go out and knock out knock as many doors as we once did yeah um actually pueblo colorado the church christian growth center there they have been podcasting their sermons for since the early 2000s really at the very beginning when podcasting kicked off yeah so you guys saw it all the way back then we did. way back then <clears throat> and a couple of years ago the it guy came and presented some numbers to us and in a two-year span um, we saw over a half a million hits and then he started showing us the demographics of what we were reaching and where we were reaching into and a vast majority of the countries that we were reaching into were countries where Christianity is not allowed. Wow. It's, it's against the law. Yeah. 
and a vast majority of them were actually Muslim countries. Hmm. So when I saw that, I and then, of course, I'm a big podcast listener. I listen to all kinds of different podcasts. And then, you know, I said, well, you know, how can we use this for the kingdom of God? And then I started talking with my brother and my dad about it, and we kicked it off. And, and of course, we're huge fans of the Biblos Network. We love the Biblos Network. And we're thankful for what you have done with your podcast, and it's an inspiration to us. I love it. Well, you know, I, I, I really believe that this is a part of reaching our world today. I had a, a text from a, a, a fine young pastor. He sent me a message right before we came in here. <clears throat> I shared this with you guys. I'll tell it to the Biblos audience. He said, Brother Urshan just wanted to reach out and say thank you so much for the Biblos Network. A young man that's been coming to my church for several re weeks received the revelation of the oneness of God while listening to your podcast this wow. week. And to top it off, he received the Holy Ghost for the first time today. Love and appreciate all that you do. God bless. That was with Ryan Brister down in Florida. This is such a chance to disseminate the gospel and the truth yeah. throughout the world. Yep. And what a tool. What an opportunity. What a day to be doing this. Yes, sir. And the, the cost per person that's watching or listening is so minimal. Yeah. You know, and I don't see any way that's more viable than these kind of platforms. You know, Brother Alviar came and was, was sharing with me how the Lord spoke to him when he was in Sao Paulo. And one building there holds 30,000 people. And those buildings stretch as far as you can see. You've you've been there. I was there last week. You were there last week. I was you in Sao Paulo. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I'm talking about massive buildings where you're right. I didn't realize it was thirty thousand, but I knew there are thousands of people that live right there. And and in some of those areas, the crime rate is so high. Many of those people only venture out of those buildings maybe two or three times a year. You know, so we're not going to wow. preach them. That's astonishing. Yeah. And we are commissioned to preach the gospel. Yes. How are we going to reach them? Yeah. And, so and are we going to condemn them? You're not going to go in some of those neighborhoods. You'll die going in those neighborhoods. Yeah. But Biblos, double we portion, do we can go in there. We can go in there. That's what he said. Now, I, I'm an avid door knocker. I have knocked doors. I have worn shoes out. I have knocked thousands, tens of thousands of doors. I've knocked just about every door in Fort Myers. And uh, it's not every door, but Fort Myers is 400,000 people. Right. And, but I mean, I have knocked all throughout Central and, and North Fort Myers. Um, one, many people to God doing that. In one episode, in one live stream service, I can reach thousands upon thousands of people yes. versus doing it in that way, that that older fashioned way. And I'm not knocking it. There's a place for it. it. I still believe in that. I win souls doing that. Well, and that's what we tell people is we're not trying to take you away from that. We're just adding another arsenal yeah, uh, or another weapon to your arsenal. We continue to do that, but God's given us another opportunity and another weapon to put yeah. in that arsenal to to reach the world with the gospel. Well, I know it's hard to believe, but there are people that actually criticize uh, podcasts. Imagine that. Yeah. 
<laughs> no good deed will go unpunished. Uh, but I find that people that do criticize, I find um, that if they would spend a little more time being proactive and reaching the lost, they wouldn't be trying to criticize efforts by others that others are making. Yep. I don't have time to look with a, a skeptical eye at my brother. Um, I'm too busy trying to grab the ones. There's a guy that came in this morning. He came in from listening to the podcast and um, he told uh, our, our greeters, he said, I've been listening for weeks. I said, I finally got to go in person. He was there this morning. God touched him. We're following up on him about Bible study. And incredible. If you're listening, I can't wait to talk to you, brother. It's going to be great. That's so awesome. <laughs> we recently had a family that prayed through. We baptized him in Jesus. <clears throat> and I, I never recognized him. And I, you know, I, I, pay attention to everybody that comes into our services so but there are times you know like to this weekend i'm not there at the church so i could miss and i said i don't remember meeting you and they said oh we've been coming to church for nine months and i said well i'm so sorry i missed you and they said no we've been coming to church online online and we just we saw our need to be baptized in Jesus' name. My, my, and they my. made all that decision before they walked through the door. That is mind-boggling. It really is. Uh, you know, is it Barnum Research mm -hmm. uh, now says that over 90% of the people that come to your church have already visited your church yeah. online before online. they come to church. Oh, there's no doubt. So I think, Brother Urshan, there is a paradigm paralysis. You know how people hate change. One of my favorite stories is by H.G. Wells, The City of the Blind. Mm. I don't know if you've read it. I have. I don't like the ending, but uh, he talks about he does such an incredible job of showing that when people are not familiar with particular things, it is perceived by them as being an enemy, an alien. So they want to eliminate that. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of people that criticize these platforms. And my, my imploring to them is, look, we're not your enemy. We love you. And we're not compromising. We're not compromising the gospel. We're not going down that road. Mm -hmm. I made that decision a long time ago when God filled me with the Holy Ghost. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to reach the world. Yeah. And I, I you know, I have to remind them that the Apostle Paul had a new thing in the New Testament that a lot of people were afraid of. He was writing letters. That was new. Uh, most of the Roman world of that day, they say, historically, they say over 60% of the Roman world could not read. They were illiterate mm. because they were slaves. Over 80% of the Roman Empire were slaves. So the Apostle Paul came up with a great idea is to write these letters to these churches and then have people that could read, read these letters to the churches. And there was huge resistance from other people. And, and Paul fought it. He, he fought it till the day that he died. So I see that and I've just made up my mind. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm still going to do this cause it works, you know, <laughs> maybe one day yeah. this will be old hat and we'll be, I believe it. Something new we'll have to, you know, use in the kingdom of God. How, how have you seen it impact Greeley? Well, I actually wanted to speak to that because um, in Greeley, our live feed is fairly new. Um, it's a smaller church, and um, 
So they had to start a live feed during COVID, just like, you know, a lot of other people. And um, so it was mostly for the local body there. Well, when we got there, um, we began to take steps to to try to, you know, make it more appealing to the eye. You know how the, the Internet is. You can catch their eye. And within the last year, we have seen exponential growth hmm. to the point that um, we're looking at the numbers right now. And my IT guy there is giving me the numbers. But we had over 20,000 hits this year. Well, that's a big deal. Okay. That's yeah, a huge deal. Yeah. What I see in that is the fact that if every church, regardless of size, mm -hmm. begins now, and what we've seen, the trend in Pueblo and in other places, over time it just begins to grow because the algorithms catch you yeah. and you're moved into the flow. Yeah. So if every church does that, oh. if there's any... Um, visual of the bible speaking about reaching the whole world mm. that to me is that visual so this is the world we live in it's a world where podcasting is it's a new thing um, live streaming is a new thing it's a great opportunity to not only reach law the lost like we're describing but it is a great way to strengthen the next generation that's what double portion is is for it's resources for young people. We we spend a lot of time like you uh, trying to define the apostolic genetic yeah. of the Word of God. That is so extremely important to protect yeah. that identity and that genetic. And that's what that's the whole reason we started Double Portion. the The outreach side of it is is prominent, but also. Retaining our identity as apostolics is oh. very prevalent. Well, you know, apostolic preaching is, it's um, passionate, it's loud, yeah. it's um, authoritative, it's very impacting in terms of uh, generating a living atmosphere. The yay and the amen, the, um, the rhema word, the logos that goes out and it just impacts people's. And that's, that's a preaching setting. But sometimes in that preaching setting, it can get so um, emotional and passionate that to sit down and to articulate and to provide the rationale right. for why we baptize in Jesus' name, the yeah. power in the name of Jesus, the oneness of God. Um, not, not everybody has that access to that, to be able to hear that. I, I I use the same expression that you're using right now with people when I'm when I'm giving them my invitation to home Bible studies because our preaching at least for me and this is for preachers to me evangelistic preaching is the most challenging preaching that I've ever done now there's men that think that's just yelling and being emotional but to me real evangelistic preaching is preaching for a decision that is real evangelistic preaching mm -hmm. you want a decision and it can be high pressure uh you know i'm i'm reaching that may be the only time that i get to reach an individual but it's a total different setting in a home bible study or a podcast like this here's where we take the time and we break it down you know and yeah and we this is why we live like this. This is why the Lord, uh, you know, and you explain covenant. N nobody understands covenant anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but that's a big deal with God. Yeah. You know, we are covenant children. And so it's important that we define that covenant from God's position and from our position and, and other aspects of the word of God that are extremely important. Yeah. So I'll tell you who's not happy about it. <laughs> Reformist teachers yeah. that have had the microphone for a long time. Yeah. They have had the official position in the Protestant world of orthodoxy. And they're mad because the apostolic position is so contrary to the reformist position. The reformist position is in part a Gnostic yes. creation. And, and also Catholic. Now, they're really going to scream about that, but yeah. they are still embracing Catholic tenets. So I got a question. And I want to, we, we've talked a little bit about this, but I want to put this out here in the public arena. It boggles my mind, and, and I'd love your thoughts on this. How can a reformist believer from the 1500s, 1600s, they're drawing their church history from there. They will look at apostolics and say, you don't have a lot of representation in the past. When they've burned our people at the stake, they have burned our books, they have demonized uh, people like Servetus and Sibelius that did, that were articulate. If they were articulate, they just killed them. John Calvin murdered people. Yeah, burned and, them at the stake with green wood so that they would die slowly. And that's their champion. That's their champion. Yes. So how can they stand on the platform of genocide and say, we don't have room to talk? It's such a double standard. They want to say we're not Catholic, but they stand on the Catholic foundation. They will draw from Catholic sources. They will draw from all of that, that post-apostolic era after Nicaea. And they will claim all of that, but then the, uh, in the, the next breath will say, we are not that. Right. Can anybody explain that to me, how that's logically possible? Well, it's not logically possible, but I understand it <clears throat> because that's the same principle that terrorists use, such as Hamas. They can kill babies they can rape women, and they can brutalize people, which is obvious. Why in the world would you sympathize with that kind of behavior? And how in the world can you bring that into Christianity and say a man that murders people is the father of, you know, he's supposed to be the father of systematic theology. Yeah. He, well, in my mind, John Calvin has no place, he has no authority to tell me anything about Jesus Christ. What would be the difference between taking someone like Charles Manson or some, well, some murderer, some man who, because what they're doing is they're giving equal weight to this man. Yes. To the Apostle Paul. Yeah. You know, we are taking the inerrancy of the New Testament through the Pauline epistles, through um, the... Johannan um, uh, epistles and the gospel, Peter, Peter and the words of Jesus Christ. Now we rightly put that on the pedestal of Canon, the inerrancy of the scripture, solo scriptura. Now we come to the reformers. We come to Martin Luther, which Martin Luther killed people. He did. And Martin Luther was anti-Semite. He was, he was in fact, Hitler admitted that he was a good Lutheran, and he was. Wow. He took the writings of Martin Luther, and he, that is, 
the religion that that Hitler created. He was a good Luther. Mm. If you read Luther's diaries, he said that the Jews should be killed, exterminated. That's in his writing. So you'll take these men, you'll lionize them, and then I actually had a guy, I had a, a Trinitarian scholar say, well, you have to understand he was a product of the time. No, I don't have to understand well, that. If he rapes people, is is he, does he get a pass because that's a product? Product of the time. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. And I said, no, no, Paul was an apostle. The, the disciples, they were rightly chosen. Their names are in the foundation of heaven of the New Jerusalem. Exactly. And so we stand on that. But these other men, you're taking their words and you are defining your entire faith by them. The, the, the apostolic ethos is so diametrically opposed. You know, we're going to say that true faith is action and faith put together. They're going to say it is nothing but mental assent. Those are two different worlds. And so when we say you must be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, they look with horror at yeah. what we're saying. But the apostles did what we're saying. They did not do what Luther and Calvin are professing. Faith alone, grace alone through faith alone is not a scriptural concept. Their own champions admit that, that we, that was the original. I think it was uh, uh, Tertullian who writes in against Praxis. Against Praxis, yeah. That the common the common faith of that time was Sibelian. Okay, the so Sibelian heresy. People don't know that. People don't realize that. So to who whoever to those listening right now in Biblos, what what Bishop Elder is saying is that Tertullian, who wrote a lot, his words survived. He's the father of Trinitarianism. The father of modern Trinitarianism. Yes. But although it was excommunicated by him. Oh yeah, and they would call him a heretic. Yeah, they would. <laughs> So he writes against Praxius. It was a, a, a treatise that was against a man named Praxius, um, uh, which was, uh, I think it was Sabellian or had those leanings. He was trying to refute Sabellianism in there. And in there he says the majority of Christendom is Sabellians, is Sabellius. They're Sabellians. It's Sabellianism is the ideology they've embraced. And... And then he called them ignorant. He said the populace is ignorant and we have to educate them. He was arrogant. Yeah. And, and what I see here, and again, I have no animosity. I, I'm a historian. And I try to be as pure and as honest as history will allow me to be. And again, he who holds the sword writes the history. So I even have to be careful about that, you know. However, uh, Tertullian was a was a product of his time, like they say, which was he was a Roman Greco mm -hmm. influenced man that was enlightened by Christianity because Christians were taken over the world. Yeah. Man. Uh, the the march of Christianity during that time was unbelievable, unprecedented, and so he saw that. And, and instead of embracing all of Christianity, he rejected the Judeo side of Christianity, is my opinion. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to incorporate his Roman Greco side and call it a Roman Greco Christianity instead of a Judeo 
yeah. and eliminate the God of the Old Testament, which is crazy because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Yeah. Jehovah is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they missed it huge when they tried to make, and, and, and he was, he was, he was a, how do you pronounce it? Pat, Petra, Petra passionist, Petra passionist, where he, he believed that the son of God was subordinate. Mm. to the Father, which is not Trinitarianism, it's Tritheism, it's yeah. two gods. Subordinationism, which they condemned later on. Yes. Which is another point. There's versions. Yes. There are upgrades. There's 1.0, 2.0, This is why we know the Trinity. If you were to take these concepts and go to Peter, James, and John, they would look back at you blankly if you talk to them about uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost being co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial. It wouldn't make any sense. They would have no frame of reference for that. What I try to do, Brother Urshan, especially when I'm teaching Bible study, is I stick with biblical language. <clears throat> the Bible does, there is, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a non-biblical term. It's not even a close second to biblical terms. God the Son is not a biblical term. The Son of God is a biblical term. So when I am describing God in his Godhead, I stick with the Word of God because that is so important. We know that God is one. He's indivisible. He, you can't divide God. If if you want to say God is, has three personalities, then he's schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And and you wouldn't, you wouldn't trust somebody in the psychological world with multiple personalities, but yet you serve a God that's personality. Uh, has multiple personalities and I know people think that that's sacrilegious but it's not it's it's sticking with the accuracy of the word of God secondly is that uh, we know historically they 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 admitted historically that this is a a systematic religion and is theology and it's not a biblical theology yeah and that goes back to the papacy and the Nicolaitan doctrine, which God hated in the book of Revelation. It's where a lot of the papacy, the Pope authority comes from, is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And, and that's not part of the apostolic church. Yeah. So even though they deny that they're part of the Catholic church, they're embracing Catholic doctrine. Well, now that there's such a, a, an explosion of oneness content online. It is catching reformist people's hair on fire. <laughs> they, they, they want to combat, combat. They want to, they want to jump into the epistles and twist them and distort them. Um, you know, it's as plain as day that Acts two thirty eight, that original, that original day of Pentecost message, which you brought up this morning. Um, you know, following that, that Acts 2, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, that, that little segment of scripture refutes so much of what they're trying to contend for. Number one, it, it is the born of water, born of spirit paradigm. It is multi-generational. It's to you and to your children. And we do save ourselves from this untoward generation. Peter lays the whole thing out for us. Well, when we get to the book of Romans, he's describing acts to people who were baptized already, which you brought up this morning. Romans, Romans six, six. Um, we're baptized into Jesus Christ in the likeness of his death. We'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
Um, and then you get into Romans 8 where he describes the spirit bearing witness with our spirit. We cry, Abba, Father. The spirit prayeth for us, praying in the Holy Ghost. All of this is a description of the book of Acts showing the mechanics of how it works, but Acts is showing what it is. And when you finally get to Romans 10, the only, the only precedent we have for confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart is not a verbal prayer that we're praying some sinner's prayer confessing Jesus. It is when they would baptize people orally invoking the name of Jesus and they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And the fact that they say Abba Father in in um, Aramaic and in Greek Greek yes is that, that is they, cloven tongues. Yes. And this is the paradigm. And they just have no frame of ref, reference for that. that. That was not Luther. That was not Calvin. And so they just can't, they can't fathom it. You, you, you made mention, my mind caught that, <clears throat> trying to catch that essence again uh, out of Acts chapter 2, where they acknowledge that the Christian church was started in Acts chapter 2. Mm. That historically they acknowledge that. Now I know there's some that say, well, you know, it was in the Gospels. Well, it wasn't in the Gospel because Jesus had not yet been glorified. We knew that. Uh, all of that was was before Calvary, and there is no New Testament church till after Calvary. There is New Testament precedent that's being established. That's why he came on earth. But really, his earthly ministry was to the Jewish people. Yeah. And and it wasn't until the day of Pentecost that it came to the church. So why do they acknowledge that and then they deny the very beginning of the church and anybody with any sound hermeneutics is going to allow scripture to to interpret law first reference that if that's how the church started, then when did it change? When historically did we have a revelation from God except from Moroni, <laughs> who I believe brought Baloni? We don't, and then we have precedent for that because Paul said, though we are an angel, preaching, preaching the, gospel. the gospel. Yeah. We have no other precedent than to preach, repent, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the gospel message of the Word of God. That's the gospel message of the kingdom of God. We've talked about it. Um, we, we talk about the blood, we talk about faith, we talk about baptism in Jesus' name. And I, a woman actually posted online and said, why don't you stop talking about these details and just preach the gospel? And I started laughing. I said, that, that is, is the gospel. <laughs> so, and it just highlights they don't know what the gospel yeah. actually is. It, that's funny. You remind me one time, I, I had some Jehovah Witness come to me at my door. They wanted to save me. So I played around and I said, okay, uh, what is the gospel? Well, they didn't know what to say because they don't have a gospel. You know, you read your Bible. Okay, yeah. I read my Bible. Am I saved? Yeah. You know, there is there is a gospel. The, the eulogy, that's where the word comes from. The eulogy, the good news of God yep. is that Jesus died and was buried and rose again the third day. What is that? First Corinthians chapter 15. 15, one to four. Yes, sir. That's the gospel. Laid out right Christ. there. It, the 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 template is in scripture but what they have done the reformationists have 
created a whole orthodoxy of non-biblical terminology. So my question to that is, which orthodoxy? Are we talking about the Constantinian orthodoxy? Are we talking about... Well, which revision do you want? (laughs) (laughs) How do you claim orthodox? Is it Luther's orthodoxy? Is it Calvin's orthodoxy? Is it Wesley's, the Wesleyan brothers' orthodoxy? I mean, if you're going to get technical, is it Joseph Smith's orthodoxy? Yeah. Once you get away from the Bible, you're... It's like people trying to navigate the ocean with a roadmap. You know, that ain't going to work. You, you better get back to the, to, the, to the heavenly. And we have a heavenly template from the Word of God. We do. And if we don't use that, then we're going to be in the Bermuda Triangle. I was talking to a young lady one time. She got very angry at me because I was saying, you must be born of the water, born of the Spirit. And, and she went to all of the the typical responses and and those listening right now, I'm sure you run into these responses in, in communicating with people. You know, I'm saying you must be born of the water. You must be born of the spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. And she said, Oh no, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I said, did you know that that was a reference to Moses? And she said, Jesus said that. Well, I said, I know, John 3, 16, but did you know he was referencing Moses and the serpent in the wilderness? And well, she just, she blinked and what? What are you even talking about? I said, well, read Read 14, 15, and 16. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. I said, if honey, if you took the time and back it up to verse five, it would, that's the precedent for John 3, 16. Um, But I then pointed out to her, I said, but, or I'm, how, how to go? She said to me, are you telling me that I'm saved by water? I mean, she couldn't have set it up any better. Um, it, Peterson. Yeah, it, it was, it was like, it was like a tee ball setting up a, a, a <laughs> little baseball on a tee. And I just, I just wound up my bat <laughs> and I got ready to just take it out of the park. I said, that's a great question. Why don't we see what the Bible says? And so we went to first Peter three, 18 to 21. And we read, Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, uh, being put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit, um, by which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by by water. And so she read that. They're saved by water. And I said, could you read it again? And she said, they were saved by water. One more time. (laughs) She said, they were saved by water. She said, I got it. I got it. They were saved by water. And so my point to her was the ancient, uh, the Greek word is antitope, antitypos. It is the antitype. It is Which the, is the fulfillment of the type. That's it. This baptism saves us now, just like the flood saved them then. Eight souls were saved by water. And she got it. I mean, she, her eyes blank. She caught it and it made her very uncomfortable because reformists do not teach that Hebrew way of looking at the scripture. They teach what is looked at through the lens. Roman Greco Christianity, you you put your philosophical spin or opinion on the word of God, which is so contrary uh, to the way that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we have to go back to interpreting the scripture the way that the scripture interprets the scripture and and a lot of that, Brother Urshan, is what you're doing. I, I even encourage young preachers, if you're apostolic preachers listening to this, they won't take the time 
to dig the types out and the anti-types. If you want to be a phenomenal evangelist, you preach Jesus out mm. of every verse mm. in the Bible. Mm. That is the greatest challenge. When I was a young man, I set out to do that. And I'm telling you, that became a challenge because I had to dig it up in yeah. the Old Testament. Clear down to the fulfillment where Christ is on the cross. And I think in his mind, he's running through all of this stuff that he fulfilled. I mean, this is elders uh, anthropologic way of yeah. finding this. Yeah. And all of a sudden he, oh, I haven't fulfilled that. So he yells out, I thirst, which mm. is found in the book of Psalms. Mm. And he fulfills that every fulfillment uh, where the Old Testament law was not done away with, like a lot of these guys that that portray themselves as scholars, yeah. but are not really scholars because they deny the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture in the man Christ Jesus that is the Old Testament the New Testament not only is fulfilling the Old Testament but Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament absolutely and so they miss that and you can't do away with that if you're going to be saved you have to obey the word of God well when Jesus opened up their understanding on the road to Emmaus he spoke of how the the prophets and the Psalms testified of all things concerning him and in Luke 24, then opened he under their, their understanding that they might understand the scripture. There was no New Testament scripture there. Yeah. All of that was Old Testament scripture being fulfilled by Christ. That I thirst, that's in the book of Psalms, is a neat, neat topic. Um, Jesus is on Calvary, and he's conquering principalities and powers. And Isaiah says he's it's the man from Basra. It's the man... Um, vesture is dipped in blood. That's yeah, a powerful his scripture. garments dyed red. Who is this that cometh? And his fury sustained him. Um, and he won the battle by himself. This is the cosmic warrior returning from the battle. And he has wrought the victory by himself. You know, Isaiah, he said, I sought to see if there was any, and there was none. So my right arm, it brought salvation to me. So Jesus is that right arm. That right on, he yes, fights sir. the battle alone. He wins the battle for us. He, he, he conquers death and hell. He, and, and in my mind, I see the hordes of hell running up Golgotha. And Jesus is conquering them, spoiling them, the Bible says, making a show of them openly, nailing this to his cross. And so I see this demonic power swarming up that hill and Jesus conquering every one of them at the top of Calvary. And when I do that and I hear him say, I thirst, my mind goes to Samson. When, when, when a thousand men are running at him and he smites them hip and thigh. I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you. And he, he wins. He went by himself, the solitary figure just the laying. The figure of Christ, him. yes. It's Christ down to I thirst. Yes. And when he says, I thirst, and God makes him a hollow. He cleaves a hollow out of the jaw, um, and water is given to Samson. It, it's it's Jesus. It's a it's a prefiguring of Jesus and that battle he won by himself. Well, and and that is correct interpretation of scripture. And I mean, you got to be careful with that because you can you can analogize everything. You can. You know, and mm -hmm. and actually, there was a time. This is what's fascinating. Uh, during the 15 to the clear up to the 20th century that a lot of preaching was allegorical because there was no nation of Israel. Mm. 
there was no nation of Israel. So wow. they've made an allegory. Uh -huh. And in these commentaries that you get, that's why I'm so careful about, I've taught my men, commentaries are just that. They're comments on the Word of God. Yeah. Now, they're great. There's some good insight. But nothing takes the place of Scripture. The scripture itself. Scripture. That's it. And very few, I think Mitchell knows this. I wish he was here because he's a great researcher too. But uh, almost every commentary in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s that were written have phenomenal content. But Israel was an allegory. Mm -hmm. It was never going to happen. They didn't have the faith. There's one or two commentaries, I can't remember which ones they are, that they actually said, no, there's going to be an Israel again. Yeah. There is going to be an Israel again. So you cannot discount the scripture. And I think a lot of that, Brother Urshan, is where we are. That's a huge difference between us and the Reformationists, is they are getting their content from creeds that the, the Nicene Creed, which is different than the Nicene Council, almost every bit of it is heresy. Uh, it, it's not even scripture. I, I know they use scripture, but if you if you read the language of that, and I know I'm reading it in English, so there may be uh, there may be it may not be translated right. I, I get that. I, I I know other languages. You know, it's very difficult. But why in the world would we take a creed or a commentary or this man's and they do this Calvin's word over the Apostle Peter? Mm -hmm. not on your life, especially with him being a murderer. Yeah. Or <laughs> Martin Luther's word over the Apostle Paul. Martin Luther was a fornicator and a Jew hater. Mm. Now, I'm not, I mean, this, what I'm talking about right now, I mean, they're probably gnashing their teeth on me because these are, you know, these are, these are icons in the yeah. Reformationist world. They are. And I, you know, I appreciate them really seeking uh, to, to clarify scripture, but Martin Luther didn't want to leave the Catholic church. He was kicked out of the Catholic church. So he recreated the Catholic church. Yeah. In his image. Yeah. And, and King James didn't want to leave the Catholic church. He was kicked out of the Catholic church. So he recreated the Catholic church in the Anglican church. Martin Luther's attempt to exclude James from Canon. Yes. Is a striking, striking example. And the reason is because James too. James 2 flew in the face of Faith his. Faith without works is dead. It flew right in the face of it. And they try to whitewash that. They, you know, I, when I point that out, reformist scholars are quick to jump to the attack of that. I'm saying all that today because as oneness expositors gain more and more traction in this world, they're giving a voice that up to now has been marginalized, mocked, ridiculed. Uh, the academic elitist tone has been used to shame people into not exploring the things of God. It's the same thing the Sanhedrin did. It's the same thing the priests of the medieval ages did. Now we have the education and the, the backing behind us to say, wait a minute, this is built on, on smoke and mirrors and a house of cards. This is not what the apostles did. And the way it practically plays out is these denominational churches are dying. They are dying and disappearing. They're dying and Pentecost is roaring onto the stage, and it is—it's terrifying them. Well, in what I think of is Jesus said in Matthew chapter twenty-four, "Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away." Uh, we can't go off of off of what Martin Luther said about 
Jesus' word. We have the recorded words of Jesus and canonized scripture. That has to take the place of, it's got to be over every pope. The pope is not the vicar of Christ. I can't find that in scripture. Mm. Mm. I cannot find that in scripture. No, but I have I have scripture that says there'll be men that come that say that they're coming in the name of Christ. Yes, you're exactly right. But if I stick with the word of Christ, it's the same thing. I mean, you can write all kinds of stuff how the law of gravity is not real. The earth is not round. <laughs> the earth is not round. The earth is flat. And you can you can write commentaries. And 100 years later, people can read those commentaries. And now all of a sudden, the earth is flat. It's getting popular again. But I'm going to tell you something. If you jump off this building, you're going to find out real fast that yeah. gravity is a law. Yeah. And Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, and my word shall never pass away. When he gave the keys to the kingdom of God to Peter, and Peter said, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many of the words, they detestify and say, save yourself. There's only one way to be saved. And that's it. That's it. And when all of the froth is done and, 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 and you have to stand before God and give an account, I have to stand before God and give an account for my soul. I'm not, I, I don't, pardon the expression, I don't give a rip about what Martin Luther said or John <laughs> Calvin said or, or some of the modern day commentaries today say, what did Jesus say that's going to get say? me into heaven? Well, I want to hear a little bit about some practical things from Brother Jeffrey. But before we do that, and before we wrap up, I want to just take a second, and I want to tell you about SeedGiver.org. Seed is a is a, a an exciting new program where you can register your credit card with Seed. You can make a purchase. You can buy a cup of coffee, you can buy a tank of gas, whatever it is you're going to purchase, and it will automatically round up each purchase to the next dollar. You can designate that funding to missions, and you can fund apostolic missionaries around the world, apostolic initiatives. Our official launch date is going to be January the 7th, 2024, and you can go to seedgiver.org to learn more about that. Give them your email address. Just put your email address in. We'll send you information about it. Um, and you can follow them on Seed Funds Mission on Instagram. So Seed Funds, F-U-N-D-S, Mission on Instagram. It is a great, great opportunity to painlessly give. You won't even know it's gone. It is the equivalent of taking your change in your cup holder and turning it into missions giving. If, if a few thousand people sign up to, for that for one year, it translates into millions of dollars that will go into the kingdom of God if we can gain a strong online presence. So take a moment, go to seedgiver.org, register and help us change the world with your change. Now, having said that, Brother Jeffrey, here you've heard your dad and I uh, fighting the good fight over here. Um, on a practical from a practical perspective, a young man, you're in Greeley, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver. 
Yes. You're establishing an apostolic church in that region, and there's churches around you, there's people that are claiming faith around you, and you're an apostolic preacher in the middle of all of that. Yes, sir. You're podcasting, you're fighting this good fight. How does this affect you? How do you think podcasting and contending for the apostolic faith in this hour, what kind of power and leverage does that give you? What's your experience there dealing with Christians that claim Christianity but don't have the apostolic background? Well, um, from a practical standpoint, like you said, when I go into, you know, we're trying to get this church off the ground. We're trying to get it moving. God's doing great things. We have a lot of new people coming. You need a new building. Yes, we need a new building right away. God's working on it right now. So if you want to help us, we'll take the help. That's right. Amen. You know, I've, 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 I've had a lot of people come through the doors in the last year. Vast majority of things that I'm hearing is people, number one, other churches that they're going to, they're not preaching the word, period. Um, they're preaching a lot of what you're talking about right here, a lot of historical, you know, from a historical standpoint. Um, and it's intriguing to me, two points that could be made right here. When, I, when I'm sitting in Bible studies, what I'm doing is I'm pulling, I'm pulling from podcasts that I'm listening to right mm -hmm. now. When I'm when I going throughout the week, these podcasts that I'm listening to, and I'm sitting across the desk from people that are talking about what you're talking about right now, you know. Well, well, I got I had a lady get mad at me just a little while ago, and I, I knew it was gonna go here, and I didn't want it to go here. And uh, she said, well, I, I just don't believe, you know, that, that, that you can be saved by works. Well, automatically I'm going to James chapter 2, these scriptures. And where am I pulling all of that stuff? From apostolic teaching mm -hmm. like this. This is the greatest hour for apostolic teaching, I believe. What is? We have books, I mean, amazing books. I think of the day of, of G.T. Haywood. And, and those great men of God, man, they had to dig that stuff out. Yeah. And I've heard, you know, an incredible scholar, how, how much of an incredible scholar that he was. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, I heard that he had three Bible classes a week, mm. one on Wednesday night, one on Friday morning and Friday night. Well, I believe that. And, you know, but he was digging this stuff out. <clears throat> well, I can go to the, you know, insignia books or an online bookstore like that and get resources for what you're talking about right now. In fact, I'm reading a book right now that talks about a lot about what you guys are dealing with, um, deals with a, he was actually a Trinitarian scholar and he's fighting against Sabellianism. His name was Cristiano Wormio, but in his fight against Sabellianism, he is actually, uh, providing a huge testimony to yes yeah. it's a testimony that it existed and what they 1600 thought 1600 popes and bishops that yeah. were sabellians yeah. yeah it's it's mind-boggling and so you know you guys keep bringing up the word orthodoxy orthodoxy he says in that book he says sabellianism is the original orthodoxy that's what he says isn't that stunning he says it is the original orthodoxy well the flawed premise of the Nicene Council and the following creedal councils 
what it what it pushed onto the world is a lie. Revelation said that there would be a, a harlot that would rise up. She would be mystery. She would be Babylon. She would be the mother of harlots. She would be drunk with the blood of the saints. And this is a religious institution um, that promotes falsehoods. Jeze- it's, it's drawing from the archetype of Jezebel who, who brought a kind of a syncretism, a, um, a, a mixing and a melding of beliefs of Baal worship with Jehovah worship. They had no problem with you being a Jehovah worshiper, but they included and mixed in the Baal worship with it. And it was a very seductive thing. That's why she is a harlot. It's a seductive thing. That's why these are called seducing spirits. It's very seductive to believe that once you're saved, you can always be saved, that you don't have to do anything except believe. Um, one, one doctrine, the, um, the light doctrine means it, it teaches that you're saved according to the light that you yeah. have. So if you only know a little bit, then you'll only be judged by the little bit that you know. And one old missionary jumped up and said, quick, quick, bring all the missionaries back. Yeah. Stop telling people the gospel because if you don't give them any light, they can't be judged. That's right. It was, it was insane when you followed it to its logical conclusion. You know, you bring up, a, when I first went to Pueblo, we have a wonderful music program there. And so we knew we were doing some outreach ministry and they have this deal. It's Spirit Fest and the Riverwalk there. Well, when the, when the people in Pueblo heard our choir and our music, it, it's anointed, it's powerful. So they started inviting us to go to these churches. And uh, it's an amazing story. So we'd go Sunday afternoon, and one night I had a dream. And in this dream, my in-laws, which are wonderful people, so I knew this was spiritual. They're great people. They're they're God-fearing people. They're truth-loving people. But in this dream, they decided to marry my wife off to another man Mm. while she was still married to me. Well, you know, in a dream, you have all these you have real feelings, you know, I, yeah. I said over my dead body, you know, <laughs> but their position was, well, you know, you, he's, this is a good guy. This is really a good guy. And you don't want to hurt his feelings. You don't want to hurt his feelings. He's, he's a good guy. I guess I hurt his feelings. I'm going to shoot the dude in the do head. A, do a whole, do a whole lot more than hurt his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, well, I woke up, I knew, I said, okay. I said on the side of the bed, I said, God, what am I doing? He said, you're taking my bride. Mm. That that's my church, and this is a pretty stout thing, brother Urshan. But I don't own that church. I am like the Apostle Paul. I have espoused this church under Christ, and that's one husband, one husband. And as a minister, as a leader, I, I love everybody. I don't have any bones to pick with anybody. But I have a mandate from God to preach this gospel that we're talking about right now. Yes. And to protect that church, <clears throat> to make sure that when I stand before God, I have I have espoused this church to one husband, and that husband is Christ Jesus. It's it's a big deal. I mean, it really is a big deal. It's not it's not just collecting ties and eating chicken and <laughs> you know, all of the stuff that everybody says that the ministry yeah. does. The ministry has a huge responsibility to protect this identity and that's that's a huge part of double portion format and i know that's a huge part 
of of biblos because we listen and we're you know we're just so blessed by the content yeah. uh biblically and historically you know that constantly comes from your podcast praise god well it's the truth and it's it's a great opportunity i'm glad you guys could be with me here today you guys have blessed us we're honored amen what a move of god this uh these services and this men's retreat and we love the pueblo church we love double portion we're honored you could be with us thank you sir absolutely thank you very much we're gonna be praying for Greeley, yes and pueblo and believe in god for great things great things jesus amen and and those of you that are listening take this I hope it's a help to you. I hope it gives you, you some insight into the battle that is raging. As the apostolic message continues to enter the mainstream, there is going to be a strong reaction to that because the mighty God in Christ is rising in the earth and the, the apostolic Acts 2.38 message is gaining preeminence. The devil's mad about it and that's tough because God's church is here and we're here to stay. I hope that helps you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And until next time, God bless you, God keep you, and God cause his face to shine upon you.